Well, amen, and good morning, good morning. It is a blessing to see your faces in this room, and it is a joy to know that we're connected all over this place through the miracle of our technology today. Uh, you know, the last two or three Sundays, I have been out uh, preaching to rocks, trees. Some folks said, well, pastor, that wind was loud while you were out there. Didn't that distract you? That wasn't the wind. That was the sound of that ice cold water running over those rocks and those rivers and creeks. And I would take that from time to time as an amen from the Lord and an amen from from you all, and it's just a, it's a blessing to be back. When we, we headed back down this way, and I looked at the thermometer on my truck, and it said 109, 109 in Big Spring, Texas. We really thought about turning around and going back. <laughs> but then we wouldn't get to see you, and we wouldn't be able to be with the family here. i got to tell you something, those of you who have come to know and, and um, appreciate uh, Mrs. Walker, uh, Shirley, over, over the years. I, I got to tell you a, 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 a true story about what was going on. She, she went with me one time to go out and, and tape one of the messages that we, we sent back here, and I'm just so grateful for Jerry Smith and Pastor Rick and the team of folks putting things together and our worship team over these last weeks, it just would not have happened without them. But um, at one point, one one of the the messages, she was there with me, and Sadie, our little our little English Springer, was uh, trying to be the star of the show on numerous occasions. And and Shirley said, "You know, I didn't I didn't think about doing this in the middle of the sermon." She said, "I did think that maybe when you were just getting started." If I had one of those Bigfoot costumes, one of those Sasquatch costumes, and I could just walk behind you. And she said, if we haven't ever had anything go viral yet, I think that might have happened. And it'd have to be real because it happened in a church service, you know. Bigfoot has to exist because he, he showed up in church. Well, thank goodness she fought that desire off. And that, that didn't happen, but um, we were blessed to be able to be, be away and in the Lord's creation. But I'm, I'm telling you, this, this technology that the Lord has made available to us in this time, I, I took a, I, I was the sound guy, I was the preacher, I was the whatever um, technical crew. You have got a little tripod and had one of those iPhone 11s that Mr. Smith told me I needed to get. And he said, Pastor, you can go out wherever you want to go, run that long microphone that Sadie sometimes would get her neck caught in and run off and knocked over the tripod one time. But that's what that was. It was there, wasn't, there wasn't anybody else there. It was just that iPhone like some of you have sitting on a tripod with an extension microphone. And how that could come from way out in the northern Rockies in wilderness country and be able to show back to where many of you seem like that you, 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 you were blessed to, to have that done that way. Some of was he standing in front of a green screen like the weathermen do, you know, and pointing to these things and giving numbers? There was no green screen. It was just, it was the real deal. And when I said, if y'all see something big, with a round head, with a hump on his back, coming my way, would you wave at me so we can, we can get out of here? I, that really was the truth. That's, um, that is serious grizzly bear country. But we just love it. There's just something about being out in the untamed, God-created world that I, I hope all of you, before you, the Lord calls us home. I just love for us to have a Alamo City trip up there to Yellowstone Park and in the surrounding area and and enjoy that, uh, enjoy that together. Even, even if we didn't get anything but the cool weather in the summertime, that'd be worth the trip. I came back with, with a phrase, with a phrase working in my heart that I want to speak to you and speak it to you. And I, I feel like with this group, uh, 
with this group that's listening this morning, this phrase is going to be something that if you haven't spoken it, you've thought it. And some of you, probably many of you, have used this phrase. And here it is. Nobody but God. Nobody but God. Meaning, meaning. There was a time in your life, there was a season in your life when nobody but God got you through it. Nobody but God. It may have been a rescue, a rescue to get you out of something. It may have been a remedy, a remedy. He provided a way for a problem to get worked out and solved. It, it may have been a restoration, a restoration with, with bruised, battered relationship that somehow, some way, God made a way. God turned hearts, changed hearts opened things up. The sun was shining again, whereas before it had been nothing but darkness and heavy clouds. Nobody but God. Would you say that back to me? Nobody but God. Nobody but God. Nobody but God. I feel, <laughs> I feel like there's some of you who would stand up and say, you know, that could be a nickname for my life. That could be the story of my life. Nobody but God. Now, I want you to turn with me in your copy of the Scripture to the book of Genesis, first book in the Bible, and I want you to find Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37, and we're going to spend some time this morning with a man, with a lead character in the Bible, who out by the side of his name could be this phrase, nobody but God. His name is Joseph. His name is Joseph. Now, one of the things I want to encourage us with as we start, when the Lord is going to prove to us, to you, that when all you have is God, you have enough. If his intent is to prove that to you, to press that deeply into your spirit so that it's a solid, it's a steady, it's the go-to place of your life, nobody but God, he will use often some very unusual approaches, techniques, methods, processes to get us to that place. Nobody but God. That's Joseph. That's Joseph. Now, let, let me start reading, and you can follow along if you want to, or, or you can just listen. But this is Genesis 37, verse 1. Now, Jacob lived in the land where his father had sojourned in the land of Canaan. These are the records of the generations of Jacob. Now, Jacob is Joseph's daddy, all right? And Jacob, the daddy, you'll see in verse 3, also has the name Israel. Jacob is synonymous with Israel. Sometimes those, those names are used interchangeably. But let's go back up to verse 2. Joseph, when 17 years of age, was pasturing the flock with his brothers while he was still a youth, along with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought back a bad report about them, his brothers, to their father. Now Israel, or Jacob, Israel loved Joseph more than all his sons because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a varicolored tunic. And his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his brothers, and so they hated him. His brothers hated him. They could not speak to him on friendly terms. Then Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. And he said to them, please, please listen to this dream which I've had. 
For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, um, stalks of grain cut and then bound together in the field. And lo, my sheaf stood up and also stood erect. And behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf. Then his brother said to him, are you actually going to reign over us? Are you really going to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Now he had still another dream, and he related it to his brothers and said, Lo, I've had still another dream, and behold, the sun and the moon and 11 stars. There were 11 brothers. 11 stars were bowing down to me. And he related it to his father, to his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you've had? Shall I and your mother and your brothers actually come to bow ourselves down before you to the ground? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept saying in mind, Then his brothers went to pasture their father's flock in Shechem. Skip over to verse 18. The daddy sent Joseph out to check on the brothers, condition of the flock, how the brothers were doing, and bring a report back to him. So Joseph is on his way. Verse 18. When they saw him, when the brothers saw Joseph from a distance, and before he came close to them, they plotted against him to put him to death. And they said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Now then come and let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. And we will say, meaning we'll say to daddy, a wild beast devoured him. Then let us see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben, one of the brothers, heard this and rescued him out of their hand and said, let us not take his life. Reuben further said to them, shed no blood, throw him into the pit that's in the wilderness, but do not lay hands on him. Because what Reuben was intending to do was to rescue him out of their hands, to restore him to his father. So it came about when Joseph reached the brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the very colored tunic that was on him, and they, they took him and threw him into the pit. Now the pit was empty without any water in it. And then they sat down to eat a meal and they raised their eyes and looked and behold a caravan of Ishmaelites was coming from Gilead with their camels bearing aromatic gum and balm and myrrh on their way to bring them down to Egypt. And Judah, another one of the brothers, said to his brothers, what, what, what profit is it for us to kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come and Let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then some Midianite traders passed by, so they pulled him up and lifted Joseph out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. Thus they, the Ishmaelites, who had bought Joseph, brought Joseph into Egypt. They came up with a plot. They took the coat. They killed a goat, an animal, put the blood on the coat, sent that back to the dead, said, this is what we found. The conclusion that the father drew was a wild beast and killed Joseph, and he was done. He was gone. Verse 36. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, Pharaoh's officer, the captain of the bodyguard. Now, what that looks like, and it was a cruel, cold-hearted plot to take a life, to get rid of, to get rid of a, a brother. They didn't, they didn't actually kill him, but they got him out of their world. That they, they figured out a way to, they thought, permanently distance themselves 
from someone they despised. So they perpetrated the plot against him. Has anything like that ever happened to you? Has there been something that has come against you by people that you thought loved you or should love you, family, close? But here's something that we need to see in this. Joseph was being rescued. Joseph was not being destroyed. Joseph was being rescued. Hold on to this, folks. God's rescue can be as much about rescuing you from a small place to take you, free you for a greater place. It can be about him rescuing you from a place that is, that is marked by familiarity or sameness. Rescuing you from sameness to take you into a place of newness. To rescue you from a place of blindness to take you into a place of revelation and vision. As long as Joseph would stay in that clan, in that family system, governed by all of the rules and expectations and standards of behavior required by the family, he would have been kept in a place of smallness while God had in mind a place of greatness for him. It, it, was, it was a place of familiarity, but it was a place of sameness. And God had in mind a place of newness for him. But oh my, the Lord's ways, what the Lord would allow. He could have intervened. He could have stopped the brothers from doing what they did. But folks, here's our promise. Here's our overarching truth. This we know. That our God is able to make all things work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. There may have been a season in your life where it seemed as if the battle was arrayed fiercely against you. And in a sense, you had no defense. You were a victim. You, you look up the word victim in a dictionary, in a Bible dictionary, and you can see Joseph right there. He was a victim. It was a cruel, hard, but thought out and perpetrated plan against him. But here's the point. We may find ourselves coming under the heavy hand of people. God never will be. And if your eyes are on him and his calling is upon your life, then you will find yourself, as Joseph found himself, in a place of freedom as a result of what ones had done who should have loved him. They rejected him. They sold him but it was because the Lord was setting him free. Jesus, by the work of his Spirit and the sovereign providential hand of God at work in our lives, he knows what's going on. He knows who's saying what. He knows who's doing what. But when your heart has been surrendered to him, Jesus, you are my all. I receive you as my Savior and Lord. I want your spirit to operate and live and flow through me. I am yours. You own my heart, Lord. My heart is yours. Then you can count on it. He will turn the deeds of Satan against you into the very things that will cause you to move into the realm of greatness in the things that really count. That he will prove to you over time, that those 
who seem to be so powerful and their voices seem to be so big and their hand seems to be so strong, you'll look back on this season one day and you'll say those three words, nobody but God. Nobody but God. It wasn't me. I didn't have the strength, but he does and he did. As long as Joseph remained just the little brother, the pet little brother, albeit, but just the little brother, he would have remained in Israel when God's plan for greatness for Joseph was Egypt. How in the world was he going to get to Egypt? Lord, couldn't you have just figured out a nicer way to get him there? But the Lord allowed the betrayal to result in Joseph being sold as a human to another human. He was a slave, sold as a slave. But I want you to notice some things about that, about his season from the time he was 17 until the time he was 30. We don't have any, any markers as to identify how long was he in prison, how long was he at Potiphar's house, how long in prison, and so forth. We have the date 17. We have the date when he was 30, 13 years, having been abandoned and a nobody in a faraway land before he was raised up to the right hand of Pharaoh at age 30. 13 years. 13 years. 13 years. But notice what was going on during that, during that time. He sold, this is chapter 39, Genesis 39. He was sold. I, my, the, the, there's a subheading for chapter 39 in my copy of the New American Standard, and here's what it says. Joseph's success in Egypt. Joseph's success. He's been sold as a slave. He's fixing to be turned into a prisoner who's a former slave. What are you talking about success? Well, verse 2, he'd been sold to Potiphar. Verse 2, Genesis 39, and the Lord was with Joseph. So he became a successful man. And he was, the house, he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now his master saw that the Lord was with him, saw obviously favor upon him. Things worked when they were handed over to to Joseph. He was trustworthy. He could figure things out. His master saw that the Lord was with him and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. So the Lord found favor in his, Joseph found favor in his sight and became his personal servant. And he made him overseer over his house and all that he owned, he put in his charge. Joseph was a slave, but the Lord was with him. Folks, you don't have to wait till everything in your company changes. You don't have to wait for everybody to be carrying a Bible or a great big cross around their neck in order to feel like, well, you might be able to prosper in the place where he's put you. This was as pagan as anything could be pagan. This was as far away from church as you can get. And yet there was Joseph by his lonesome. Nobody knew anything about him other than he, that he was, he was sold, bought and sold, and yet there was something about that young man that caused him to rise above the rest of the crowd. It was the favor of the Lord, and God caused him to prosper in that place. Folks, it does, don't, don't know if I could just work at the church. If I, if I could just have nothing but Christian people around me, I'd be just fine. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. You might turn out to be just weak and, and having to look around to see, well, what are all the Christians doing? And so I'm going to do what all the Christians, that, that's the worst place to be. You, you can fake this thing called Christian. You, you can say the word. To, listen, the real test is when all hell is breaking loose and there's paganism as far as daylight but there's still the strength of Jesus rising up in your heart, and you are who you are. You are who you are, and you will be who you will be. That's Joseph. He was who he was. He wasn't waiting. Which way's the wind blowing? What's everybody voting for? 
What's this there? No. The life of Christ alive inside you causes you to stand as a beacon of a bright light and a beacon of hope in a dark and troubled world. The darker it gets around us, the more brightly the light of Jesus shines out of us. Don't be running and trying to hang out in the light all the time. Find you a dark place and shine. (laughs) Amen. That was Joseph. That was Joseph. The Lord knew exactly where Joseph was, and the Lord chose to bless Joseph. Even though there were other, the, the system around him, there was, no, there was no worship of the one true and living God. The Egyptians worshiped all kinds of stuff, frogs and cats and great Scott. Think about it. I mean, all, the, all, the, all kinds of animals, they just make it a God. But Joseph knew the one true and living God had a relationship with him. And even though he was by himself as a young man, there was power in his life in a dark place. Well, he stood out in the home. Potiphar's wife got eyes for Joseph, came after Joseph. He resisted, rejected her advances. She turned on him, said to her husband that Joseph had made advances toward her, and we've find Joseph now, now, he's not just a prisoner, I mean, a a slave, he is a slave who has now become a prisoner of the state, that his, his, his owner was the commander over the jail and had the ability just with him, not with a trial, not with any recourse for Joseph, just had him thrown in jail because of what the wife had falsely accused Joseph of. (laughs) Now, I just, I tell you, I'm hoping this just comes like liquid power and fire out of heaven into somebody's heart this morning. It doesn't matter what people have done to you. It doesn't matter how people have lied about you. God is bigger than every last one of them. And he will prove it. Time is on the side of truth. Time is on the side of truth. Would you say that back to me? Time is on the side of truth. All right, so he's thrown in jail. This is verse 20, Genesis 39. So Joseph's master took him, put him into the jail, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the jail. Verse 21. Every eye, would you please look at this? But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. And the chief jailer committed to Joseph's charge all the prisoners who were in the jail so that whatever was done there, he, Joseph, was responsible for it. They throw him in jail and turn the jail over to him. Potiphar buys him as a slave and ends up turning his whole household over to him. Nobody but God, nobody but God, nobody but God, nobody but God. It is not, it is not how big and bad humans are. It is how vast and glorious your God is. Nobody but God. So so even in prison, the Lord knew where he was. Joseph didn't have to stand out on the side and holler up into the heavens, God, I'm here. Where are you? The Lord knew where he was. And the Lord in that place, in that jail, the Lord was with Joseph. And he extended kindness to Joseph and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. Folks, listen, you don't don't have to wait until you get promoted into some something where you feel like you would have more freedom or authority. Right where you are, right where you are. You may say, my place where I work feels like a prison. Well, just get in line right behind Joseph. The people around here treat me like I'm, a, like I'm a nobody, almost like I'm a slave. Get in line behind Joseph. 
And it was in that place with Joseph's eyes upon the Lord and his heart toward the Lord. God blessed him. And God wants to bless you. That's his heart. Where he finds a heart that's open, a heart that's willing to listen, a heart that's willing to obey, a heart that's willing to wait, a heart that's willing to stay under and even suffer for a season. He knows how to bless you. He knows how to thrill you. Some of my good country brothers would say, he knows how to blow your hat in the creek. He had things coming for Joseph that Joseph had no clue. Folks, we go back to this thing again. Rescue. Nobody but God. When he sets about to rescue you, He is setting about to rescue you, take you into a place of freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. One of the greatest ongoing works of the Spirit of Jesus inside our hearts is the work of increasingly setting us free. We think, well, I'm free. I'm not owned by anybody. I don't, I don't you know, I'm, all of those things that, that we see in the time. But folks, we can, still, we can still be a slave. We can still be in bondage to attitudes. We can still be in bondage to memories. Joseph, Joseph, I'll show you in a minute how he named one of his sons in Egypt. And it was proof that the Lord had done a work of helping him to forget, helping him to get past what had been done to him. We'll see that in a moment. But this was a work of freedom. It was about freedom. Listen, listen. Some of the saddest, hardest, most difficult seasons or events in your life that have happened to you. On the one hand, it looks like tragedy. In many ways, we could identify it in those ways. But if, if you, as you have gotten past that, past that time, that season, and you look back on it, the sense can rise up in your heart. Nobody but God could set me free like that. I thought I was going to die. I thought it was going to kill me. I didn't know how I would make it, but I look back on it now and I can see that the Lord was setting me free from something, from some things, from some people, from some attitudes, from some perspectives. Setting me free from a small place because as he in mind, he has in mind a great place. Great in the places that really count. All right, so there we have Joseph in slavery and in prison, but the Lord is with him. The Lord is with him. I want you to find, if, if, you, if you would, turn, turn over a little bit uh, in, in your copy. There's your chapter 41, Genesis chapter 41. We don't know how long Joseph has been in prison now. We first hear of him at 17. We're going to read again at age 30. Something dramatic has happened to change his, his whole life. But somewhere along in there, chapter 41, verse 1, we find these words. And what happened at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream. Oh, he was standing by the Nile, and, and he, he sees, I'm just going to summarize this, he, he, that, that came up out of the Nile or from the, the Delta area around there, whatever, wherever this was in his dream, that came up seven cows, sleek and fat. And then in a little bit, here came seven other cows after them, but these were ugly. <laughs> oh, Pharaoh... He mentions that a couple of different times. These were ugly cows, ugly cows, ugly and gaunt. And they stood by the other cows on the head of the Nile. And then it says in verse 4, and the ugly and gaunt cows ate up in his dream, ate up the seven sleek and fat cows. And Pharaoh, Pharaoh woke up. And then he went back to sleep again. He dreamed a second time, but this time it was seven ears of grain came up on a single stalk, plump and good. And then behold, seven ears, thin and scorched by the east wind, sprouted up with them. And the thin ears swatted up the seven plump and full ears. And then Pharaoh woke up. 
and it just bothered him. He couldn't shake it. What, what does this mean? came about in the morning. His spirit was troubled, so he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men, and Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was no one who could interpret them to Pharaoh. In the group, in the mix, the chief cupbearer spoke to Pharaoh. He was an attendant to the Pharaoh. In some cases, uh, he would be the one that would taste the food before Pharaoh took a bite of it to make sure he wasn't going to be poisoned. Chief cupbearer spoke to Pharaoh saying, I make mention today of, of my own offenses, and he talked about how he was thrown in prison by, by Pharaoh, and then he had a dream. He and, the, he and the baker, the chief baker, had a dream, verse 11, on the same night, and he and I, each of us, dreamed according to interpretation of his own dream. And then he says in verse 12, now a Hebrew youth was with us there in jail, a servant of the captain of the bodyguard. And we related them, we related the dreams to him, to Joseph. And he interpreted our dreams for us. To each one he interpreted according to his own dream. And it came about that just as he interpreted for us, so it happened. He restored me in my office. Pharaoh brought him back because he's the cupbearer, still alive. But the, but the baker got hung. And that was the interpretation that, that Joseph had given to their dreams. Then Pharaoh sent, verse 14, Pharaoh sent and called for Joseph, and they hurriedly brought him out of the dungeon. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream, but no one can interpret it. And I've heard it said about you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph then answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Now, folks, the night before, Joseph has put his head on probably a bug-infested, lumpy, bad pillar in a dungeon, in a jail cell. He has no lawyer. He has no recourse. He's stuck there. And he's been stuck there for, I don't know, we don't even know how long. But the total gap between the time he was, he was abandoned by his brothers, sold into slavery, and the time that Pharaoh is about to raise him up is 13 years. 13 years. He's in the place of having to endure the consequences of what his brothers had done to him. But all of a sudden, unknown to Joseph, but not unknown to his God, overnight, Joseph moves from that place of smallness into that place of greatness that God had seen all along. Notice how the dots get connected. It was by way of the jailhouse that the word would eventually get to Pharaoh that there is a young man who has the ability to interpret dreams. He was just known as a Hebrew youth. He didn't even deserve a name. He was so low down the totem pole. But that which caused him to rise above, stand above everybody else, was the God-given ability that he had and the favor of the Lord upon his life. And the one, that, the thought is that, that, that they just forgot about, the, about Joseph. The, 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 the cupbearer forgot what, until this happened. Joseph had just been sitting there in, in, in silence and solitude and, and, and being left completely alone. It seemed as if he had been completely forgotten even though he had interpreted those dreams for those two men. But then when the time was right, the cupbearer remembered Joseph was called and Joseph was brought into what ended up being the place of greatness that the Lord had intended for him to be in all along. Look at verse 25. Now Joseph said to Pharaoh, after, after Pharaoh gives him the dream, Joseph says, Pharaoh's dreams are, are one and the same. 
God has told to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one and the same. Joseph continues, and the seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven thin ears scorched by the east wind shall be seven more seven years of famine. It is as I have spoken to you, Pharaoh. God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Behold, seven years of great abundance are coming in all the land of Egypt, and after them seven years of famine will come and all the abundance will be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine will ravage the land. So the abundance will be unknown in the land because of that subsequent famine, for it will be very severe. Now as for the repeating of the dream to Pharaoh twice, it means that the matter is determined by God, and God will quickly bring it about. And now let Pharaoh look for a man discerning and wise, and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh take action and and appoint overseers in charge of the land. Look at this. And let them exact a fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven years of abundance, and let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store store the grain up for food in the cities under Pharaoh's authority and let them guard it, let the overseers guard it. So all the crops, everything that comes in, one-fifth is to be taken under Pharaoh's charge and put in storehouses, one-fifth of the abundance. And let the food become as a reserve for the land, Joseph continues, for the seven years of famine, which will occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish during the famine. Now the proposals seem good to Pharaoh and to all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is a divine spirit? So Joseph said to, Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has informed you of all of this, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and according to your command, all my people shall do homage only, do homage, and only in the throne I will be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Skip to verse 44. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, though I am Pharaoh, yet without your permission, no one shall raise his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. Verse 45, the end of it. And Joseph went forth over the land of Egypt. Verse 46. Now Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. And during the seven years of plenty, the land brought forth abundantly. So he gathered all the food of those seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt and placed the food in the cities. And he placed in every city the food from its surrounding fields. Watch the verse 49. Thus Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he stopped measuring it, for it was beyond measure. Now keep reading, please. Now before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph from the wife that had been given to him. Verse 51, and Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my trouble." and all my father's household. And he named the second Ephraim, for he said, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Would you look back at the first named son, Manasseh? For God has made me forget all my trouble. Folks, It is one of the works of the Spirit of God in your life, in your heart, mentally, emotionally. The Lord has the power to help you forget your troubles. It does not necessarily mean that they will never come up in our mind, but here's what it does mean. God has the power 
to suck out of your memories the pain and the poison so that it, they do not have the ability to ruin your today. We're not supposed to be driving into the tomorrows of our lives with the rearview mirror filled up with the faces of people who have scorned us, hated us, abused us, done whatever they've done. That's past. The future is today, and the future is the hand of the Lord. And in one night, in one night's time, Joseph was taken from the jailhouse, I heard a preacher say, to the penthouse. He was taken from the lowest of the low into the place of the highest favor with the most powerful person in the land. If God has done that with Joseph, our statement would have to be back to that. Nobody but God. Nobody but God. Look, folks, that's what the Lord wants to pack your spiritual resume with. Line item after line item after line item where out to the side of it, it just says, nobody but God. Nobody but God. So Joseph, Joseph is rescued, but the vehicle of his rescue was very painful. It was even cruel. The, the, the season of that, of, of that being rescued into a place of, 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 of total freedom in this foreign land took a, took a period of 13 years that the Lord was working his plan. But in the middle of that, listen, folks, in the middle of that, the Lord's hand of blessing was on Joseph every assignment that he got. The assignment as a, as a, as a slave the assignment as a prisoner. In those places, God made his presence known and God blessed him. Now, I'm not trying to fuss at anybody today. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to get in your business. But if Joseph had been a big whiner and big complainer and a big what's it all about and I don't know that I'm ever going to make it out of here and this is, this is just God must just left me, we wouldn't be reading his name in the book. But it was because somehow there was a sense in his heart. Things around me may be going south, but the God I serve is headed due north. And I'm lashing my soul to my Savior's rule and reign. Nobody but God. Nobody but God. You look back through some of the toughest seasons in your life, and I want to suggest to you that even though there's pain associated with it and, and confusion that can be connected with it, if you can look back and realize that if you had stayed in the place that you were in then, you would still be in bondage in the places that you were then. But as a result, the Lord, the Lord has set you free, is in the process of setting us free from smallness, from smallness, from a small look to a greater place. Amen. Amen. You say, oh, that's crazy. That's crazy. You got to be half crazy to live your life according to this word. It's not going to, this book isn't written for folks who have to have everything all figured out and everything is reasoned. Faith is being persuaded that something is true that you can't see and doesn't make sense. It's supernatural. God has to give it. But the whole point of this is when the circumstances of our lives come at us in ways that, that seem to be so full of death, in the middle of something that seems so full of death is the Lord saying, this is full of life. Trust me. Trust me. Okay, so... That, that was a remedy the Lord gave Joseph. It was an economic remedy. It, it had political implications. It had social implications. It had international implications. Here's what it means, Pharaoh, and here's what you're to do. One-fifth of the harvest you keep, put in storehouses. Seven years of all kinds of an abundant harvest, then seven years of famine, but during the seven years of famine, you know what? Egypt made a ton of money because they weren't having to 
go all over the place to be fed, and the word spread, the word spread that Egypt had food. Go back 13 years. The daddy, Israel, hears that Egypt has food. The famine was worldwide. So he assigns 10 of the brothers, 10 of Joseph's brothers, to go to Egypt to buy food so that, as the dad would say, they can survive. Not knowing. For all he knew, that son was dead. Joseph would, But it was the plan for survival that God had given his son. There was a direct connect. You talk about a restoration that's fixing to happen. So the 10 brothers show up in Joseph's presence coming to buy food. They don't recognize him, but he recognizes them. He sees them, knows them. Fast forward. The clan ends up moving to Egypt. Joseph, in honoring the father, his father primarily, takes care of them. But then the daddy dies. I want you to find the last chapter in the book of Genesis, and we close with this. The daddy dies. It's just the brothers left now. And Joseph. Verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph should bear a grudge against us and pay us back in full for all the wrong which we did to him? They lived with it every day. They knew what they had done. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father charged before he died saying, thus you shall say to Joseph, please forgive, I beg you, the transgressions of your brothers and their sin, for they did you wrong. And now... Please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. I want you to notice this next line in your Bible. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. How many years had Joseph waited? to hear repentance from his brothers. How long had he stayed awake at night wondering if they would ever come to grips with what they had done to him. But here's the massive revelation of what's going on in Joseph's heart. Instead of finding this as a reason to obliterate his brothers, to exact revenge against them, it says, and Joseph wept when they spoke those words to him. Then his brothers also came. They had sent messengers with that, with that message to Joseph. They didn't come themselves, evidently. But then his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. Do you reckon that they remembered that dream that Joseph told them about that caused them to hate him so much? His sheaf was tall, they bowed. The sun was in the heavens. All the other luminaries bowed before the sun. Then his brothers came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? 
And as for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. So therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And then look at this incredibly stunning line in the Bible. So he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Folks, restoration always has two parts. It has the part of the offended, willing to be restored, and it has the offender, wanting to be restored. One or the other can ache for plot to accomplish restoration, but it won't happen until both ends agree to be restored, to be reconciled. With Joseph, with Joseph, when he saw his brothers coming and saying to him the things he had longed to hear for those years, since the time that they did what they did to him. Instead of Joseph seeking revenge, slapping them down with Bible verses, and you, this is why you deserve all this stuff, there was something in the heart of Joseph that according to Micah 6, 8, what does the Lord require of you but to do what's right, and then this line, to love mercy, to love mercy, to love it, to love it when you see it needed, to love it when you see it expressed, but to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Can't help but believe that one of the reasons that the Lord was able to raise Joseph to such prominence is that he knew this day would come, and instead of annihilating the ones who would be the future heads of the tribes of Israel. And Joseph had the power to wipe out all of those sons of Israel and the tribes that would come beneath because the Lord knew that Joseph had kindness in his heart. He had been abused. He had been victimized. But the Lord, even while Joseph was having to live out, folks, live out the consequences of his being victimized, the Lord in those places in Egypt was showing his favor on Joseph. The bigger picture is not what they did to Joseph, but it's what God did for Joseph. We can spend all our time, oh, they did this, oh, they did this, oh, that one did that. Oh, you can spend your time and wear yourself out with that. And miss out on the fact that in the very place that you are because of what has happened to you, God's blessing can rest all over you. The joy of the Lord can be your strength. The certainty that God will finish what he started in you. Amen. It's which way are we looking? We're staring at the rearview mirror with all those faces are we looking past that to the future? Following Jesus. That's all he said. Follow me. Follow me. And I'll cause all things to work together for good to those who love me and are called according to my purpose. I've got to read you one last section. Revelation. Let's go from the first book of the Bible Let's go to the last book. Finish it up here. Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia. This is chapter 3, verse 7. Jesus is introducing himself. He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, 
And that speaks of the door, the key of David is the key to earthly opportunities. The key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens in the doors of earthly opportunity. Then he says, I know your deeds. I've been watching you. I'm acquainted with where you live and where you work and how you're conducting yourself. I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut. How much of that are we going to believe? Doors of earthly opportunity. It may seem as if it goes south. It may seem as if things are set aside for a while. But the devil is not even strong enough. And certainly people are not strong enough to keep the child of God away from the open door that the Savior in his authority has set before you. It may take 13 years to get there. But in the process of that, the Lord's just putting some dots on a, on a blind, and one day he's going to connect the cotton-picking dots, and we're going to end up where we have been intended to be all along. I sound like a country preacher this morning, and there's good reason. I've been out there looking at rocks and trees and, and screaming my head off, hollering at mountains in the country. And I'm just amazed that you all are here this morning and you're saying amen to such things. That's a good sound. It's a good sound. Thank you. He says, I know your deeds. Behold, I've put before you an open door which no one can shut because. And look, here's the deed. Here it is. Why have I set before you an open door? It's because, he says, you have little power. On your own, you don't have much strength. But you've kept my word. You've kept my word. You've done what I told you to do. You cherished, you honored my word, my word. And you've not denied my name. Therefore, I have set before you an open door which no man can close. The enemy tries to come to us and say, well, I can close that door. People can come and rise up and say, oh, you'll never be anything. You'll never go anywhere. You'll never amount to anything. One day we'll walk by their grave and their words will have perished with them. But the word of your Lord rises above and goes past and will take you to the completion that he's intended for you to step into. Nobody but God. Nobody but God. Nobody but God in rescue. Nobody but God for remedies. Nobody but God in restoration. Nobody but God. Don't give up on him. Don't start looking down. Keep your eyes up. Lord, fill me with your spirit. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Lord, we ask you to cause your word your word to flow into us and down into and through our spirits like wonderful, warm, living, life-giving lava into our hearts. Lord, thank you that your word is truth. Thank you that your presence is real. Thank you that you do speak to your children. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Thank you for loving us, Lord. And you've proven love to us in those nobody but God moments when we had nowhere else to turn. Been running out of everything. But nobody but God made a way. And as you have made a way in the past, so you are now and so you will till the day we physically die and open our eyes in the presence of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Encourage our hearts. Stir up our faith. Baptize us freshly with your spirit and power, we pray. In Jesus' name. And all the Lord's people said, amen. Amen and amen and amen.
God bless you for being with us this day. Thank you for your loving, prayerful, generous support in so many different ways that this ministry can continue around the world. God bless you. We'll be praying for you and love you. Amen. Family here, God bless you. Let's stand together. You can be dismissed, and those of you in your homes, wherever you may be, may you be blessed as you live through this day with your eyes on Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Yeah.